0: Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, and I just want to read uh, verse 20. Well, let's, let's talk about the first part of that first, about God's Word. Two real uh, subjects in that last section for a little review was one, God's Word, that God's Word, you know, will be fulfilled, every part of it, every jot and every tittle, the smallest letter, the least stroke, none of it is unimportant. God's word is so powerful. It's so uh, incredible. It's living. It's active. It's for you. It's, it's for me today. And, and uh, for us to be, uh, you know, hearing God's word, for us to be reading it for ourselves and taking advantage of the, of the blessings that we have in our, in our country to have it. Uh, we saw that also that Jesus came to fulfill the scripture, not to do away with it. And he was the only one that ever really could completely and totally fulfill the Scripture, Jesus. We also saw that we need to be careful that we handle God's Word correctly. Very, very important. Now let's read verse 20. It says, For I tell you, Jesus says to you and to me, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, So, Jesus speaks here, really, he he takes it beyond just where the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were all about the external, the show. They were all about, you know, following to the letter of the law, and and he didn't say, well, you shouldn't follow the the scripture, but he says it's got to be deeper than that, it's got to be more than that, it's not just a, a, a set of rules and regulations that if you keep those, you'll get into heaven. He says, no, it's got to surpass that. It's got to go beyond that. It's got to go deeper than that. It's not, that, that is, that's not a bad thing to try to follow God's word, right? It's not a bad thing. He came to fulfill it. He said every part of it's important. But he says there's something that, that they were missing. And, and I want you to turn quickly with me to, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 Uh, we'll see what Paul, the Apostle says it is that's missing, that that is the most important thing. Romans 3, verse 21, it says there, and Jesus said, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses, is greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Paul says a righteousness now from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He says, You got to have way more than that. And, and Paul explains it to us and says, You know, the righteousness that, that we need is a righteousness that comes from God. It's not a righteousness of our own that, you know, we do everything so perfectly we're going to get in. Because uh, he goes on to say, look what the the next uh, part, verse 23 says there. He says, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If it was based on our righteousness, meaning fulfilling every little part, every little truth, How many of us would make it? Paul says none. None of us would make it. So what does he say there? He says that that we receive a righteousness. We become right with God, right through faith in Jesus Christ, through trusting in Him, having a relationship with Him, knowing Him. We saw that last week, knowing Him. It's a living relationship. It's not a ritual. It's not that, you know, we we go through this ritual every single day and that is going to get us into heaven. That's that's not going to get us anywhere. It's not rituals. It's not legalism. But it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now going on, it's very interesting, going on to the next sections here in in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of gives us examples of external versus internal. He says you know, that you know, it's got to go deeper than just what you do on the outside. Something's got to go on, on in the inside. And then he, he gives us some examples. And, and these examples, we're just going to look at the first one today, but they're very, very, I find very convicting They go way beyond what even the Pharisees and the the Sadducees and the teachers of the law ever thought of of going. And, and, uh, you know, when we look at them, we go, wow. But I I think the key to it is that it should drive us to Jesus Christ and say, God, help us to live the right way, to live for you. God, help us to live for you. You'll see what I mean when we get into this. Look at verse 21. He says, you have heard it, Heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Do not murder. He's referring to one of what? The Ten Commandments found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And and really, this is, I I explained last week, the different types of law that we find in the Scripture. And this is certainly part of the moral law that is good for all time. What is right and what is wrong. Do not murder. It's always, always wrong to murder, right? It's a law that's, that's you know, true for, for all time, for us. And it certainly applies. Do not murder. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a truth of the Bible. It's a truth of what's right and what's wrong. You know, in our society, there's a lot of waffling and a lot of different issues. But I think people are pretty well convinced that it's still wrong to murder, right? Now, you know, I have a serious, serious problem with, you know, abortion, and they would say, well, that's not, that doesn't go into that category. I would disagree. I think abortion is killing of innocent life, plain and simple. We're not here to talk about that today, but he says do not murder. In the U.S., uh, uh, some statistics for you, in 1960, there was about 180 million people in the U.S., In 2007, there was about 300 million. So, you know, it it didn't quite double. But the murder rates in the U.S. in 1960 were about 9,000 people. In 2007, 17,000. During the uh, 70s and the 80s, though, the high was was, uh, somewhere around 24,000. Almost three times. Something's going on in our country some say well yeah in the 60s is when they you know they began to go further and further away from from the scripture taking the bible and prayer out of the schools and that kind of thing and and how our society has been affected by all that violent crime 1960 was 300,000 occurrences 2007 1.4 million that's over four times aggravated assault 154,000 1960 856,000 in 2007. These statistics come right from the FBI. These are real, and and these are maybe even some of those are not even reported, uh, which would add to these numbers. Something's happening. Something's happening in terms of of what's happening in our society about violence. Yeah, we see that it's gotten a little bit better in the last, say, 8 to 10 years, and I'm glad for that. I really am. But still compared to what it used to be, it's still much higher. He says anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And, and we're talking about the, the, you know, the court system. But I want to make a distinction now. We have the, the court system in our country and, and the courts of law, but we also have God's court and God's judgment, don't we? We have to keep that in mind as well. But you know, there's punishment, there's judgment required, and it. And of course, we would say that the punishment should match the crime. That's another story, another study about uh, you know, do the the punishments match the crime? I question some of them. I saw in the news uh, recently this uh, this guy Madoff who who uh, you know pretty much built people of some tens of billions of dollars and uh, you know the uh, his his lawyer is asking that he you know get 12 years uh, for that and they're saying because that's a life sentence because he's only going to live to be 83 and he's 71 now that's going to give him one year out of prison or whatever of course the the prosecutors are saying we need to give him 150 years what's the right thing Well, if he broke the law to the tune of billions and billions of dollars ruining people's lives, you know, what's the right thing? This is, again, not the topic of study for today. I just want you to think about that, though. Jesus says they would be subject to judgment. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. If you do the crime, you've got to do the time. But look at verse 22, though. How many of us... We've read this, do not murder, and, and, and how many of us are saying, well, okay, I'm all I'm right there. You know, the rich, rich young ruler, he, he knew what the scripture said. He says, I'm okay, I haven't, I haven't done those things. How many you say, well, I never murdered anybody. You know, I never cheated on my spouse. I never, you know, uh, robbed the bank. I'm a good person. How many people say that to you when you talk to, to talk to them about their need for Jesus Christ? But look what he says in verse 22. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa. Whoa. This sounds pretty pretty hard, doesn't it? I mean, okay, do not murder. Okay, I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus kind of extends it now to anger. He extends it to just being angry and insulting people. How many of us, myself included, can, can escape this? How many of you can say, I've never been angry with somebody? I've never, you know, gotten, I've never lost my temper. I've never, you know, got so angry I wanted to hurt somebody, but I didn't do it. How many of you are getting angry with me right now? You know, uh, someone said this, that anger is one letter short of danger. And I've been thinking about this, this, this anger, you know. Lots of things happen, you know, but anger and hatred and murder. He's, he's saying these things are like Connected. Someone else said that murder begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. The anger that starts there. These people, you know, all these murder statistics that I show, these aggravated assaults, these, you know, uh, violent crimes, they they didn't just go out and say, I'm just going to go do that. No, it began inside of them. And anger took over and and emotion and flesh and all this stuff, and it just, you know, goes and, and these things happen. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Out of the heart come these things. So Jesus, he comes on the scene and these guys thought they were all set. They thought they were fine. And he comes on on the scene and he says, you know what? We are missing the mark if we don't address the heart. If if it's just a matter of you know f- of following a set of rules and regulations or whatever, we're missing the mark if we're not talking about what's inside because that's what that's where it's all at. That's what he wants to deal with. That's what he is addressing here to you and to me. God help us. And I read these verses and I say, "God help us." God help us. I, I I don't know if I got mad today. I think I might have got angry and started thinking thoughts. That's just today. I can't remember getting angry yesterday. But in the last week or the last month, how many of you can think back and say, wow, you know, I was so angry James says, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Stuff that goes on inside of us, you know, that anger, that rage, the human court, as I mentioned, the human court, they deal with the external acts, right? If you go and you break a law, the, the human court is going to deal with that. If you get caught, the human court's going to deal with that. And, and again, uh, the judge or the jury, whatever it is involved, and in, depending on the type of crime that it is, they're going to deal with you about that, right? But Jesus says, you know what? There's something else. This, there's, there's God in the picture here, and and God knows what's inside of you and and what's inside of me, and and He's going to deal with that. Oh, we may think we're getting away with everything, and maybe we're not doing a lot of things that that other person is doing and and whatever, but He's saying, you know what, there's something inside here. I really like this quote uh, by Barclay. He says this, the new standard kills all pride and forces us to Jesus Christ, who alone can enable us to rise to that standard which he himself sets before us. There's no room for pride, not in any single one of us. But he says it should force us to go to Jesus Christ, to, to, to follow his way. He says it's not just not you know, taking the gun and shooting somebody, it's, it's the anger that is building up inside of you. James said, you know, that we should be slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God God desires. Our anger accomplishes what? You know? You tell someone, well, I'm a Christian, and they see that you're one of the most angry people around, they say, wow, what a great Christian. What a light in the world. Salt of the earth. No, what they say is, uh, what a bitter pill to swallow that person is. That guy's got an anger issue, an anger problem, doesn't he? This isn't new, though, is it? Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3. This isn't new. Anger and murder and rage and hatred. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was what? Very angry. And his face was downcast. There was a problem there, and, and, and he got really angry about it. Instead of saying, God, well, you know, getting right with God about the thing, he gets angry at his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God said that to Cain. We know the rest of the story. What did he do? He went out and acted on his anger. He went out and he murdered his brother. And and, uh, you can read the whole account there. Anger got the best of him. But God said, you know, it's right there. It's crouching right there. It wants to control you. It wants to have you. But you must master it, he said. Now again, like when Jesus speaks in Matthew and when God speaks in the book of Genesis, If God tells us that we can master something, that means He is going to give us help to do what He asks us to do. He doesn't say just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you just go to an anger management class, that's going to take care of the problem. No, we've got to get on our faces before God if we've got these anger problems, anger issues, and say, God, help me. God, break this anger in me. You know, you can look on the Internet and you can find courses and books and groups and techniques and medications all to take that anger away. And some of those things might be helpful, I think. But number one, I think when we're looking here in Matthew, when we're reading in Genesis, number one, we need to go to God and ask Him for the help. Number one source, go to God and and humble ourselves before him under his mighty hand. I like what Alan Redpath said about this. But let me first mention uh, uh, road rage. Uh, I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, that, that one out of every true driver, every two drivers, experiences road rage. That's like... Half of the people in here. That's why I wait till you guys all go home before I ever leave. Uh, you know. But but it could be me, but but Jesus, you know, applied this to Jesus, and we, you know, say, well, I but I never, you know, pushed the guy off the road and and bumped him and got out of my car and went up and you know threatened him or anything like that. But did you get angry with him? Did you want to? Did you want to say something? The road rage motto is this. Anyone going faster than you is a maniac. Anyone going slower than you is an idiot. (laughs) You know, we laugh, but, you know, it's true. I know it's me. It's true. Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you going so slow? Don't you see you're supposed to merge here? Stop that. And then I'll, you know, then I'll go around them. Fast and I'll look over at them. Let's see how old they are, if they're really old or really young or, you know. Alan Redpath said this, though. He said, There are many strange ideas about cross bearing. He said, I recall a man once saying to me, I have a fierce temper, but I suppose that is my cross. My friend, I said to him, lovingly, I hope, that is not your cross, but it is your sin. Oh, I just got this bad, bad temper, and, you know, I just have to carry it. No, he says, that's sinful. That's sin. Erupting in anger, carrying all this fierce anger and hatred within us. It's sin. And where do you go to get rid of sin? Do you, do you, do you get on a medication? Does that take the sin away? No, that's when you and I, we need to repent. We need to turn to the cross. We're going to have communion today. We need to turn to the cross. That's why we, we have the cross. We, we, that's why we have communion. We turn to God for forgiveness, for victory, for help, for strength. A lot of things happen, you know. Uh, you know I know that when I get, when I get really angry... Uh, something, it, it, something, you know, physiologically happens as well, isn't that true? Something, stuff happens within your body, and you, and you don't feel good. I don't feel good. Maybe there are people who, you know, they get angry and they just like the way it feels or something. I don't know. I hate it. It does not feel good. But stuff is going on there, you know, adrenaline and and all kinds of other these uh, chemical things happening. But we're we're just this close, like, like God said to, to. Uh, to Cain, we're just this close to, to getting out of control and doing crazy things. I'm not, tr- not going to even try to answer all the questions about this, but, but Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, it makes it clear that it comes out of our hearts, and, and he shows, it shows what's in there. And it also shows what's not in there. That's why he says, you know, you could be in danger of judgment with the Sanhedrin, but you could also be in danger of the fire of hell, he says. It may show us that we're heading for hell. Now, does that mean that every time we get angry that, it, you know, well, there, I'm angry now, I'm going to hell. No, our, our destination is based upon what I said in the beginning here, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if, if if you know... the. It, and, and we're all going to get angry from time to time, I believe, but, but, but do we go and, and do we work that out with our relationship with Jesus Christ? But if we have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and that anger is just like consuming and mighty, well, then again, that might be showing us that maybe I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see what I mean? Does that make sense? One person made sense, too. This anger. This insulting name-calling. These words that come out of our mouths. We know Jesus talked about it in other places that the words that come out of our mouth, they come from where? From our hearts. The words that come out. He says there, anyone who says up is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. That's something that you actually do. It comes out. That's not even just within it, that's when it starts to spill out, you see. But this word raka means empty head or brainless idiot. You know, how many of us have, you know, said those kinds of things to people? Or Maybe in our car when we're driving and they can't hear us. But he says, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Why? For saying those words? Is that what he's talking about here? No, he's talking about because of the heart, because of where those words came from. If there's there's no faith down in there, if there's no relationship with God down in there. By the way, again, uh, this isn't the subject of our, our study today, that Jesus was never afraid to talk about hell, was he? And this word is the word Gehenna, which is the place of final punishment, eternal fire. You can, you can read about the different passages where the fire never goes out, where the worm does not die. You can read in Luke chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus where Jesus talked about, you know, suffering and, and torment and, and the other side and crossing over. You can't cross over and, and, and hell is a very real place. He wasn't afraid to talk about it. We can't be afraid to talk of it. without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and our sins being paid for, our destination is a place called Gehenna or hell. It's that simple. That's why we celebrate communion as well, that people would know the cross is where we find salvation, where we find hope. If you don't have that this morning, you need to come this morning, right here, right now, and say, Jesus Christ, please be my Savior, forgive me. I, I, I want eternal life. It's our choice. He doesn't force us to do it. He doesn't push us. He doesn't make us do it. But you and I make free choice. Have we made that choice? That's the question you and I need to ask. So with this idea about anger now, where are we at? Are we, do we have this out-of-control anger and insulting speech? Someone said this, It's it's not enough merely to refrain from the act of killing. If the king of love reigns in the heart, one must refrain from heart hatred, must refuse to be contemptuous toward others, must resist the temptation to assassinate another's reputation. Love in the heart is the only true guide. Love in the heart. Anger. It's only going to get us into trouble. Isn't that true? It got Moses into trouble. It got Jonah into trouble. The Proverbs have all kinds of stuff talking about anger. Let me quote a few here. It says, stirring up anger produces strife. It says, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, he'll do it again. Or you will have to do it again. An angry man stirs up distension, and a hot-tempered man commits many sins. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And listen to this, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Hanging out with someone who just gets hot all the time, Angry, it begins to rub off on you or I. That's why if you, know, if you and I are a real negative, angry person, we may have trouble making relationships because people don't really want to spend a lot of time with us to hear our anger. I spent some time with, uh, with one of my brothers a few weeks back, and man, there's just so much anger there. So much anger there. And he doesn't, you know, he's, he's almost reclusive. He spends time with nobody. And maybe it's because nobody might want to spend time with him. But, but all I could say to him, you know, I said, man, you need Jesus in your life. All this stuff, all this anger, all these bad things, and man at this one, man at that one, you need Jesus in your life to get to the heart of who you are. This anger, it destroys relationship. It, it, it may lead us to do physical harm to someone else. I think it hurts us physically ourselves, I think. You know, the anger, you know, it, our blood pressure rises and, and, and all kinds of physical things happen, as I said earlier. But to drive us to the cross, to drive us to Jesus Christ with the grace of God and His help, His help, To know that it's wrong. Jesus is saying it's wrong. When you say, well, isn't there righteous anger? Well, maybe there are in certain cases there's righteous anger. But I think for you and me, that's probably pretty rare. We may have a reason to get angry, but to get that angry doesn't make it right. And for you and I, it's usually some kind of self-reason, selfish reason or self Centered reason. Jesus Christ was the only one that had truly righteous anger. Ever. Truly, truly, all the time, only righteous anger. And you didn't see that very often, either, did you? Let's look at verse 23 through 26. Forgiveness, I want to say is essential, reconciliation, and Jesus gives some ideas. And it's interesting to note in these verses that we're going to look at now to read and finish this section on anger and murder, that in verses 21 to 22, he talks about our anger, how we get angry. In verses 23 23 through 26, he deals really with those that are angry at us. And maybe it's because we offended them, we did something to make them angry at us. So kind of it's a, two, it's a two-way thing, too. You know, we get angry at others and they've done something to us, we need to deal with our anger. But if we've done something to offend someone else, to make them angry at us, we need to do something about that, too. Right? That's what he's going to go on to say here. Another interesting thing to note is the first few verses, 23 and 24, deal with, he, he says, a brother... And then in verses 25 through 26, he talks about an adversary, those that are close to us and also those that are not close to us. Look at verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Interesting, isn't it? Affects our worship, affects our relationship with God. We want to worship God. We want to bring Him our hearts and se- our lives, our very selves. Maybe we come to church and, and maybe we're here in church and we, we come for the right reason. We want, to, we want to meet with God here. We want to uh, bring Him a, an offering. And yet, God might bring to mind someone who we've offended. And we might need to do something about that. Now, does that mean you've got to track down every person who has something against us? <laughs> Depends on what kind, of, what kind of person you are. That may take you the rest of your life, you know. But i got enough people that are, are angry with me for one reason or another. And, and you know, if you have a kind of a, a, a ministry or you have something where you're, you know, in in some kind of a position, people, you know, uh, uh, don't always like what you say or don't always like what you do and you become like a target. You can't, I can't go find everybody. I don't know where they all are. But he says, if you're there at the altar, you're, you're offering your gift, there you remember that you, your brother has something against you. I believe the Lord has something to do with that. He's reminding you. He's, he's bringing that thought to your mind. That hey, you know, I'm glad, he says, I'm awful glad you're here to worship, but, you know, you got some unfinished business out there you probably need to take care of. It's, it's creating some issues between you and me. He says, leave your gift. Go do it and then come back and bring your gift. Still wants us to bring ourselves and our offerings, and I'm not talking about You know, sacrifices, I'm talking about offerings of praise and worship and and giving Him our hearts. He said, if you know, you need to go and be reconciled. Do that, get that done, do that. Maybe you're thinking now, you're here and you're going, wow, you know, I can't stop thinking about this person that, I know they're mad at me and I've offended them in some way, some shape, some form. We saw in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Somebody who did, did something, took a step. If you're the one offended, we need to give forgiveness, right? Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, he says, when you stand praying, this is an interesting, uh, this is a similar verse, but he says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. The first, in in Matthew 5, he says, if you remember that somebody's holding something against you, you need to go and be reconciled. He says here, if you're standing there and, and you're holding something against someone else, they've offended you, obviously. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. Let it go. And again, so often we can't do that without the Lord helping us to do that. So he says, go and offer your gift. Try to work it out. Do what you can. Look at verse 25. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversaries taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The, the, the message here in those two verses is this, don't let it get worse. Something's going on, deal with it now. Don't wait, because it gets worse and worse and the bitterness grows, doesn't it? Don't wait until it becomes this huge thing and, and you, you, know, you haven't talked to your family member or somebody, you haven't, you, haven't, uh, you haven't done anything to try to resolve a situation and then you find 10 years later, you haven't ever talked to that person. They do get worse. Listen what one man said. He said, again and again, it is the experience of life that if a quarrel or a difference or a dispute is not healed immediately, it can go on breeding worse and worse trouble as time goes on. Bitterness breeds bitterness. He said, if at the beginning, one of the parties had the grace to apologize or to admit fault, A very grievous situation need never have arisen. If ever we're at variance with someone else, we must get the situation put right straight away. It may mean that that we must be humble enough to confess that we were wrong and make apology. It may mean that even if we were in the right, that we have to take the first step toward healing the breach. When personal relations go wrong, he says, in nine cases out of ten, immediate action will mend them. But if that immediate action is not taken, they will continue to deteriorate and the bitterness will spread in an ever-widening circle. He says, settle matters quickly, Jesus says. Don't wait. Don't let it go on and on and on. If we need to apologize, if we need to take a step, If we need to humble ourselves, don't let it get any bigger by not dealing with it, because it does get worse in the end. I'd like to turn to the book of Ephesians, and we'll finish there. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. few verses in Ephesians and we'll have a verse in Ephesians as well for our, for our communion that we're going to have in just a very few minutes. Look at verse 26. You've heard these verses before, haven't you? It says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't carry it on beyond that and do something stupid. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is saying here that you know, this, angry, this anger inside of us, there's something the devil can latch onto that and actually get a foothold in our lives through anger. He says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. That great theologian Phyllis Diller she said this, never go to bed mad. Stay up and fight. <laughs> you know, how, how many times have you, have you gotten so angry at your, maybe your spouse or somebody and, and you go to bed and you try to go to sleep and you don't sleep very well and you wake up and you're just as angry and maybe even more angry because you didn't get any sleep? It's a hard thing to do. But he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry you need, if you need to take a step and do something. Maybe first you need to go for a walk around the block. Not just for the fresh air, but to pray and say, God, we're having a serious time. Maybe we need, you need to go lock yourself in your closet or in your bathroom and, and get on your face before God and say, God, my anger is out of control. I need help, please. In the name of Jesus, I need help. Look at verse 29. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Certainly talking to believers, he said, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Kind and compassionate. Let's, let's do it his way, in other words. Jesus calling us to a higher calling. We can't do it without his help, though, can we? Without his Holy Spirit. Without the power that he gives us. Anger, forgiveness. Humility, repentance, reconciliation. God, help us. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus, we come and these words. Easier if we just did look at fables and stories. Because these words, they convict us and they challenge us. Lord, your word. And so we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and say, Lord, we, who are we? How can we ever fulfill anything out of your word unless you help us? Lord, maybe it is that, that I have offended someone and I need to get it right. Show me what to do. Maybe my anger is out of control. Show me what to do, where and how to get the help I need. place of the cross, where we humble ourselves and we confess our sin, where we thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for my sin, we take a few moments now to quietly, in our hearts to quietly reconnect with you and and say, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, the deepest needs of our hearts, you alone can fulfill. We need you desperately. I pray that you would prepare us even now, Lord, and partake the communion, that the cup and the bread as we remember what you have done for us.